Hey, you know, um, I'm here uh, with my friend Vaughn Jarrett, uh, pastor of the way, and just right down the street. Yep. I, we're, we're like neighbors. That's right. Right. <laughs> uh, we've known each other for a number of years, and I remember um, we started having conversations about race when it, when it was a time Tra- uh, Trayvon Brown, uh, 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 Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown, and things of that nature. Uh, subsequently, You've spoken at our church. I've spoken at yours. That's right. We've done a number of things together. In fact, I, I believe I was supposed to sp- speak at your church on March 22nd or 22nd, something. yep. And that was when the lockdown started. And I've known you, and we've had many a conversation, to be someone who's not angry. Mm-hmm. And you have a high degree of respect for law enforcement. But I believe that um, this particular time is a time when I need people like you, and we've already had multiple conversations. But um, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And you started Good to be with you. Yeah, and you started worship today, right? You had church. Yeah, we had our first service uh, 9:30 this morning with all the challenges that come along with uh, social distancing and whatnot, but we had a good turnout and people were excited to be back together. So I'm sure for Living Hope, as you guys go through that process, people will be excited to gather and you know, we'll get through this, but it was good for us today. Man, thank you, Vaughn. Hey, do me a favor. Uh, make all the mistakes and tell us what not to do. All right? Of course. We'll, we'll send you the, <laughs> the meeting minutes uh, for what needs to get fixed. All right. All thank right. you. Um, let me begin by showing you three pictures. Okay. And these became somewhat uh, well-known. Mm-hmm. And they're all videos, of course, but I'm just going to um, show you three pictures. Ahmad Arbery. Um, Christian Cooper, but there's a picture of Amy Cooper, and George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, there were many, many other uh, instances of injustice uh, against the black community, but these were known because uh, there were video footage. Can I ask, uh, just to begin, Vaughn, when you saw those videos, how did you feel? Hmm. Yeah. Um Heartbroken, angry, um, um, I would say um, confused. Um, I also felt um, just overwhelmed um, when I begin to think about my role as a pastor, my role in a, in a body, in a congregation, and processing things like this, and uh, just... Uh, Hopeless, hopeless in many ways. Um, so it's, it's been a combination of a lot of different feelings. And then those feelings tend to um, accelerate or increase as each day goes by. And uh, some of the things you mentioned earlier as we look at social media and we look at so many different things, um, I got to a point um, just a few days ago uh, my wife or my kids have been with me all week, and I've been, like you mentioned, talking with other leaders and other pastors. But I think it was maybe Thursday night, I uh, found myself alone for the first time and, and realized just how not okay I am. I was uh, uh, um, in, a, in a state of crisis, to be honest with you. So the emotions are, are uh, oftentimes uh, uncontrollable when things like this happen. On that Thursday night, you said when you realized you were not okay. Mm-hmm. What do you mean not okay? So uh, my, my wife had taken the kids. Um, actually, it was Friday night because we were going to be at church all day Saturday uh, getting ready for, for service. 
So Friday night, my, uh, my wife had taken the kids uh, to my in-laws to, to stay the night. And I said, oh, I'm just going to stay home. I got some studying, some things to do. And uh, as she left, and I was left by myself with my thoughts, um, just um, began to think of things that I wanted to do and things that I wanted to say. And um, I didn't have any kind of buffer or anybody there to distract me or to, to help me even process so it was actually uh, kind of scary for me, um, some of the thoughts that came into my head and some of the emotions that, that, uh, that just began to, to flood up. And I just began to think of how many others, um, uh, how easily we can be overwhelmed, how easy we can slip into depression, how easily we can do things and think things that we otherwise, we, we think, well, well, we'll never think like that or we'll never feel like that. But I was there and I was there very quickly on Friday night. Thank you for sharing and, and kind of being honest with that. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that as a leader, we try to guard ourselves, especially publicly. That's right. Uh, but thank you for being honest with that. You know, um, this particular moment in history, uh, more than any others that I've seen, it's almost become politically correct to jump on the bandwagon and, and post and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. um, you know, racial um, injustice, et cetera. And I, you know, in your interview, in your t conversation with Alan, you, you talked about that. When you see those who are not personally impacted start to get on the bandwagon, so-called, uh, contrasted to, to you know, some of your experiences, how does that make you feel? Um, <laughs> infuriated um, might be the best way to describe it. I shared this with our, our church and our congregation. Um, like you said, just about being open and being vulnerable, I thought it was important to let them know where I actually am right now uh, as their pastor and as their leader. And that's been probably the most difficult part. Um, you know, I described it with, with our church um, today that um, I can imagine somebody going through something as horrific as what we saw uh, played out on this video and I related it to somebody else seeing um, maybe a wife or a sister or a mother uh, be raped or killed. Um, and then within 24 hours before you could even bury that person, um, the emotions you feel and your friends feel and your family members feel to, to, to want justice and to be out of control. And before 24 hours pass, the friends and family of, of that rapist and murderer begin to tell you that they don't appreciate how you are dealing with the tragedy you've been through. That's what it feels like to me to see people that I've pastored, to see people that I've considered friends my whole life, to see people posting things um, that will put one sentence about rest in peace and then write a dissertation on how to protest properly and how to um, um, stand up for injustice properly. The man's not in the ground yet. And uh, that's very, very difficult um, to see and uh, to identify which, which bandwagon people are, are often on. You mentioned that um for a lot of people, it's a cause that we can take up for a little while, and we have a choice, but for you, it's reality. 
Yeah, it's every day. You know, we, we talked a few years ago, like you mentioned, and I really appreciated that. You reached out to me. It meant a lot to me. Just like in this particular case, you've been, you've been reaching out and checking on me as a friend, but also looking to, to have dialogue. It's been really, really helpful. But in those three or four years that it may have been since anything's made national news, everybody has forgotten about causes and stickers and T-shirts, but it's still a daily um, reality for me for my family, for my friends, and for many others. Um, and it's real, it's, it's difficult to know that unless it's caught on video and makes national attention, it's not important to, right. to people, um, but it's important to us. It's something we're, we're aware of on a daily basis. You talked about um, taking runs with your son. And how your experience is probably different than my experience. And I talked a little bit about that. And I don't have to look over my shoulders when I'm taking a run. Mm -hmm. um, and you talked about you taking a run with your son and the conversation you have to have afterwards. Um, hey, can, you, can you explain that? Yeah. Um, like, like many right now, everything shut down. So we all just want to be super fit and... <laughs> So I've been exercising and riding and running and doing whatever I can. And uh, my kids are obviously home, so I'll take my, my children out with me. But specifically, the instance was uh, my 12-year-old. And we decided uh, I'll run and he'll ride with me. He's my motivation. He carries my water. He does all that kind of stuff and helps me through. And as we run, as I run through the neighborhood and we're together, we'll see people and we'll wave. We will... Um, uh, just say hello, whatever it might be as you, as you go through the neighborhood. There's a lot of people out. And this particular day, we were running through a neighborhood, and um, we said hello to a gentleman who uh, kind of just looked at us, and then he turned away from us, and he began to walk away. And um, at that moment, I had to have this conversation with my son about why that happens. You know, he doesn't have a real point of reference for, for why that might have been. So I was explaining to him about what we look like, um, I was explaining to him about our color. I was explaining to him about being aware um, of his surroundings and, um, and that uh, lots of people have a lot of different feelings when it comes to, to, to us. And so I had that conversation with, with some of our friends and some of our elders, and, and they told us, or they told me that, that we shouldn't have to talk to our kids that way and that we shouldn't, we shouldn't be... Um, making them aware of that kind of stuff. And I, I explained to them that for us, we have to talk to our kids like that. We have to make them aware um, because they can be hurt and they can be killed um, or they can suffer things just because they're unaware. Others may not have to do that, but I do have to do that. You know, you, you mentioned how if you're playing with your ball, your son is, and it goes into a neighbor's backyard, mm -hmm. that is different, that you that you don't want your son to not necessarily go over and, and mm -hmm. hop the fence and get that ball. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I had a, a friend call me and ask me about that. It, it's funny. People have seen some of these talks and interviews, and they've got notes, and they call and say, well, what do you say about this? And I feel differently. And on that particular one, I was explaining to them that when, uh, when we were kids, we would, we would go into a backyard maybe, or we would... Um, uh, the, the most fear maybe we thought we had to have was being chased off or, or something like that. And I said, uh, in the black community, what we're afraid of is, is not being chased off or not having, having some type of confrontation. It's about actually being killed in somebody's backyard because you are black, because you're on property that's not your own, 
they're not thinking uh, necessarily, uh, and they're within their rights, and it will be justified. Um, so that's, that's a reality for us. I, I tell my son, no, you don't go back there. You come and get me. We will walk around the neighborhood. We will knock on a door if we have to, or we might just lose that ball. Um, and that's just a reality for us. It's, uh, I'm not saying that everybody is, is desiring to do something like that or capable of that, but it is definitely um, a reality that we have to be aware of. I remember hearing that, talking to you about it, talking to some others about it. Mm-hmm. I know as an Asian American that um, we've had talks with our kids and parents, our immigrant parents have had talks with us and then talks would be something like, you know, you're, you're not as white as you think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that as long as you're in this country, you may think you're American, but you're an Asian American. There'll be times and uh, people will, won't, look at you as a true American. You have to work harder. You have to get higher grades, GPA, SATs, in order to achieve the same as the majority culture people. Mm-hmm. But from what I gather from you and from others is that for the, the black community, the black fathers, the kind of conversations that they have with their kids is like what you're saying. Mm-hmm. At a very young age. That's, that's, like, that's not surprising to me. Or, or that's, that's every black family I know, every black father I know, has these conversations with their kids at a very young age. Um, and even as, even as a Christian, I, I was just thinking right now that you know that our church, we do a lot of evangelism and, and knocking on doors and, and going out to communicate with people. You've blessed us in many ways in, in regards to that. But I was even thinking right now, when I, when I go with my kids, I tell them we knock on the door and then we back up. I was just thinking about that. We back up at least six feet social distancing, but we always do that. And I tell them they need to be able to see you. They need to be able to see that you're not a threat. They need to be able to see that they can open their door and talk to you. And even just to have to think through stuff like that, that's my experience. That's what it means um, to be an African-American and raising black kids. I remember when I heard all this this week, I was sad on two levels. I was sad that this had to be the case. And to be honest with you, I was sad that I was not aware that, um, how, like I've had, I have other African-American friends. Mm-hmm. Why did I not know this? And, um, and I, you know, I, I just realized, boy, there's so much that I don't know. Well, you're, you're not alone uh, in our conversations, even the article that you read. I realize that there's a lot of things that I don't know um, either, whether it be about the uh, Asian-American experience, the uh, Hispanic-Mexican-American experience, the white American experience. Um, so we need to be talking. We need to be dialoguing. And there is a lot for us to learn. I think one of the challenges, though, is when something like this happens, it's so easy to say, um, we can get off topic, we can get off focus and say, well, why don't we make this about all lives matter? Why don't we make this about um, getting to know everything about everyone? And, and I think we can lose some of the, um, the focus that I think God is actually trying to shine a light on a particular circumstance, situation, and experience. And I think we need to stay on that topic and focus on that and then make space, like I said, for, for some of the other things that we need to work through. Yeah, I, I completely agree. There's, I know in the past, I've done that too. It's like, well, this problem um, has implications. Well, what about this other thing? And those other things might be true too, but let's focus on this for right mm-hmm. now, right? And that's the pain point that we're, we're thinking about. Yeah. You know, what do you say? Um, because, you know, like 
you know, one of the things that we have going for us in Brea is we have such great friends here of all different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. What do you say to the white Christian, whether they're leaders or just congregants, who genuinely don't know if they have racist tendencies and don't know what to do about this white guilt. Like, hey, how am I supposed to apologize reparations for sins that I have personally haven't committed? Mm -hmm. uh, this is just too overbearing. I'm not sure what to do. What do you say to our, our, uh, fr our friends? Yeah, so one of the things I, I had a note that I wanted to share is that as we talk, I believe that that's what we're doing. We're speaking to Christians, you know, the world um, we'll have a hard time reconciling some of the things that we're talking about and sharing. But the hope is that Christians, even if it, it's difficult to allow some of these things to resonate with you initially, um, what it means to be a Christian is that we take those things to prayer. Um, we continue to wrestle with them and we continue to ask the Holy Spirit to give us understanding. So uh, what I would say to white Christians and believers is... Um, if you're, if you're unsure, that's a hint that something might be there. Um, if, if you're unsure and you find yourself weighing in on these topics via social media um, or not weighing in at all, I'll tell you how we look at it from the black community is that um, we, we see clearly where you stand. What I, I talked to a friend and he said, I don't like to talk about political things. From our perspective, um, it feels more like, hey, if we're on the phone, I can talk to you about what I really feel, but I'm not going to put that out there for my community. I'm not going to put that out there for my family that I'm gonna go have Thanksgiving dinner with and Christmas dinner with. I'm not gonna put that out there for the coworkers that I have to go to work with. But Vaughn, if we get on the phone, I'll tell you how much I love you and how much I really care about you and the cause and your people. Your silence to us um, tells us where you really stand, or that's what we're assuming, um, and that's, that's difficult and that's hurtful. Um, I would also say that uh, there's, there's opportunity to, you know, you mentioned earlier, I, I love it in your, in your sermon about this um, telephone, text message, and Zoom, how we can keep that distance um, even a lot of people who are making these comments and saying these things, it feels like it's sanitized and it's at a distance. You're in the safety of your home. You're in the safety of your, of your phone on Facebook. And, and uh, when you say things like, this is how you should protest or this is how you should, you should um, uh, um, respond, well, shouldn't you be doing those things or are we just saying that you know what I mean? You're not really with right, me. Right. You're, you're not really with us. You're not really saying, as a Christian, I see this as an injustice. As a Christian, I see this as sin. As a Christian, I see this as something that I have to respond in a Christ-like manner to. What you're actually doing is saying, I'm going to post and tell you how to do that, but I'm not really with you. You talked about Jesus saying, I'm not just going to save you. I came for intimacy with you. Don't just tell me that you are with me, and don't just tell me how I can do a better job of protesting. Meet me at the protest. Show me. Um, what that really looks like. Take your family out there. There are a lot of people who are doing that, but I don't think nearly, nearly enough. Mm. You, know, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, just last night, I, I was reaching out to the LAPD guys at our church. I found out we mm -hmm. had a lot more than I thought, mm -hmm. and then law enforcement from others. Um, 
And just like pastors, a lot of them are good, but there are a lot of bad ones too. Right. And we, you know, we won't say who the bad ones are, but <laughs> <laughs> we know that. Uh-huh. And law enforcement knows that too. Um, they know that they're bad apples. And I'm so glad for uh, Brea PD, the chief who made a statement about what recently happened. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you have law enforcement friends. What do you say to our law enforcement friends? Uh, similarly, I think uh, this time in particular, it seems that we're seeing more people uh, speak out. I think this time in particular, we're seeing more uh, officers take a stand and make it clear where they stand, um, which I think is great. Um, but again, I think it's about that consistency. When you mentioned pastors, I think one of the things that we do, if we're good pastors, is we draw attention to some of the things that are, that are unbiblical and unhealthy and unchristian that can be preached behind pulpits, that can be communicated to people. Because not only are we going to try to do the right thing, but we're going to draw attention to, to some of the wrong things. And I think that uh, law enforcement, um, I think we can just continue to grow in that particular area, right? Is it, is it just when there's something like this that happens, or is this an ongoing conversation that's happening within these departments? Um, is it an ongoing thing where, where people are being held accountable when they um, abuse the power that they have? So um, again, I do have friends and family in law enforcement, and I'm grateful for them. And I'm grateful that when I call the police, they show up. Um, but that doesn't mean that uh, there's not some significant and systemic issues within law enforcement. Uh, that are still very difficult. Thank you. You know, um, uh, you know, we've gone I don't know, 25 minutes or so. Oh, wow. I, I, I said quick, 10, huh? I said 10, 15 minutes. Um, I have a bunch of more questions, but maybe at another time, Vaughn. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love this conversation. I, I think we should have it more often. And I think as pastors in Brea and along with the other pastors, and I know that Steve Choi is having a conversation tonight and Doug and Daniel and yeah, Scott see, yeah. um, and, and um, Torian, they're having a conversation tonight too. Okay. I, think, I think we need to do this uh, more often. Because, um, yeah, I, we don't know what we don't know. And sometimes we need to give each other permission to, to speak with, you know, what's yep. really there and for us to listen with Christ-like ears. But thank you so much. Hey, can we do this? Um, can I pray for you mm-hmm. and your church? And then can you close our time and pray for me and our church? Amen. Okay, no let problem. me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for Vaughn and the friendship that has spanned the years, his heart uh, to honor you. I pray for um him and his wife, Mary, that as they continue to lead the way, that you would give him the grace to know how to lead in a gospel-centered manner, Mm. that we would not be filled with simply uh, uh, the sins of the world, but really uh, the love of Christ and how that needs to be manifested. I pray that you would bring healing uh, in a way that that transcends Uh, what we can do and see. Uh, I pray that you would give uh, him uh, the grace to lead in a a gracious way, but bold way to speak when um, um, there needs to be bold proclamations, not only to uh, people who want to hear, but to people who are 
uncomfortable with that. I, I thank you for the way as they've opened up today. May you continue to bless and allow them to flourish in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Lord, I thank you for uh, my brother and my friend, uh, Steve. I thank you for Hannah. I thank you for their family and your grace upon them. I thank you for living hope, that you truly are the living hope, but that you have a people here that are seeking after you, seeking after your heart. Um, Lord, I thank you that in a time such as this, that Steve was willing to be bold enough to, uh, to bring up images and to speak directly and specifically into this topic that can be so divisive. Um, when it would be easy, Lord, to speak in hypothetical terms and to speak about um, unity and diversity and Jews and Gentiles, um, I thank you that he was willing to um, just do more than that, Lord. I thank you that as he shared about you uh, coming to dwell among your people, that he is that kind of man that comes to dwell among others and to sit with us even in our pain, Lord God. I thank you that he has a congregation that is willing to embrace and to listen, to allow me to come and speak, but also to allow me to come and just have a conversation with them, Lord God. I thank you, Lord, that uh, this church is a light. I thank you that as they begin to prepare to gather again, that they're led uh, by a man and by a team of men and women that have wisdom, Lord God, that are not going to be led by what other people are doing or even what uh, some may feel that they should do, Lord, but they're seeking to hear your voice and to walk slowly into those things, Lord God. Lord, I thank you that you're still on the throne, Lord, that we can preach the gospel and that we can trust you, Lord God. Um, I thank you, Lord, that you are uh, with the Stevens who are modern, um, martyred, patiently and crying out for forgiveness for those who are oppressing them and that they that you would open the heavens <laughs> that he would be able to see you and you would welcome him in lord god but i also thank you that you are with the peters who are angry and pull out their sword and begin to fight for what they know is right i thank you that you take the time to tell peter there's a better way but you tell him as you are locked arms with him in that fight and in that place of anger and in that place of violence, Lord God. I hope, Lord, that you would uh, pour out your grace in a, in a greater way in this next season for Living Hope than you have in the past, Lord, that uh, uh, who they are and what they provide in this city and further than that, Lord God, oh, Lord, that you would shine a greater light, Lord, that uh, others would be able to receive from them the way that I've been able to receive and be blessed and be grown, and be helped. We love you, Lord. We love each other, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.